Crime, War Fantasy in Misdaden, Elkar und Mutin. Ich bin Belle. And I'm Alex. And this is uns podcast. Dit podcast is in English, so I'll speak that instead. If you are Dutch, please do not point out how bad my Dutch was. I am learning. Today's warnings are genocide and medical information. I don't speak Dutch, so I am grateful that we are all done with that. Before, oh, so yeah? N- yes, yeah. break Netherlands need? Oh my god. <laughs> Before someone walks in at just the wrong time, we'll let you know that this podcast does use explicit language. As a last warning, today's episode includes genocide and medical information. Let's get started, shall we? We shall. This story is set in a world with strict magical law, which forbids those with magic to live with those that don't. Upon learning that your child has the touch, they are whisked away to the world of enchanters and potion brewers. Other than the parents of these magical children, the world doesn't know of the second one living just under their noses. They go about their daily lives wondering what that building could possibly be, not knowing that it hides a portal to a hidden city. The non-magical world runs as history writes it, and the magical world tends to follow suit, but not always. Today's case is one in which the worlds do the one thing they're really not supposed to, cross. We follow the book of Marguerite Visser, a unique, unmagical link between the two worlds who published a story to warn the magical folk of the dangers of breaking the law of melding their two worlds. Now, the book was published in the Netherlands, in Dutch, so I'll have to translate some of her writing throughout the story. Marguerite Visser was an only child to her two parents, who were often too preoccupied with their business to pay her much attention. However... Sounds like the start of a Hallmark movie. What? It sounds like the start of a Hallmark movie, like a movie where the children are trying to convince their working parents, especially the dad, about the magics of Christmas. Oh my god. But he's like, no, I have business <laughs> to attend to. It also could be the tragic backstory of a Hallmark movie, where she's like, I don't want to have I, to come run the family business. I hate Christmas, because I do business. <laughs> I do business. I run the family business, and just like my parents did just in this town, you don't get it. Yeah, exactly like that. Okay. I'm sorry. I agree. No, I agree. I love Hallmark movies. They're the, Me too. They're the best kind of drug. Yes. However, there was one day a week that most people in her town found the time to tear from their busy lives. People put on their nice clothes, smiled at one another, and followed the murmuring of long-sung hymns. Marguerite, along with most others in her town, was devoutly religious, and their religion did see magic as an inherently evil act. That is unfortunate. It is very unfortunate. I can see where this is going. Actually, I can't, but I I believe <laughs> I know where this is going. You would you would think that you would know that where this is going because you have the script. But I didn't read it in advance, everyone. I know, so, so we can't make the script jokes. Everything to... Yeah, you can't make any jokes about how, haha, I already know that because of the script because I haven't read any of the script today. <laughs> Everything you hear today is impromptu. See, now they will they will recognize your wit and your exactly. natural funny talent. You, you still have to make less script jokes. It's not <laughs> it undermines happening. me. It does not. <laughs> okay, continue. Where was I? I don't know. There are plenty of things in the okay, world. Okay, there we go. Yes, 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 yes. There are plenty of things in the world that would have been undiscovered if not for one piece of text. I'm going to ask you if there's any historical texts that are like that, where it's like, oh, this one piece Rosetta of text. Stone. There you go. This is the case for this story. If the articles of Marguerite Visser did not exist, we wouldn't know any of this. It is survived by one girl's writing, multiple others' journals of the time confirming it, and the ruined town of Zwanendam. We can never be sure when this truly began, but we know for a fact that it was sometime between 1924 and 1928. 
Ooh, Roaring Twenties. So exciting. There's no prohibition in the Netherlands, so they can have actual fun. Yeah, the Netherlands, I don't know what they were up to during this period in time. I really only know about World War II. Yeah. And after. But when you go to the well, Netherlands... Well, they were, re- they were probably recovering from World War One. Yeah, this is true. Because that happened in Europe. Because, yeah. you know, that's where World Wars happen. <laughs> the Europeans get up to some, some things. They're so funky. They're so we fun love and them, funky but they're like funky. <laughs> <laughs> and as most stories with a horrible, tragic downfall do, this one begins with a false love. No! I love love. I know you do. Okay. It's... You know, be who you are. Love. It's not gay. No! Well, it's good because if it were gay, then it would be even more tragic. Yeah, you're right. Because then it's it's a false true love. This is a queer-owned podcast, everyone. I am a lesbian. I am bisexual. Allies. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Hendrika was a sweet, trusting woman that had been raised in a good family. However, she was known to be a secretive shut-in, and many didn't even know her name. Knocks at her door often went unanswered. The curtains were always shut. People went in and out. Older townsfolk had quoted that her parents had lived there, but theorized that they had died, as she was the only one seen leaving as soon as she returned from a faraway boarding school. People came in, but only specific strangers every once in a while. It was very peculiar for the small town of people that all knew one another. How old is she? Is she, like, adult-adult, or is she, like, young adult? We can assume that she was a young adult at this time. Okay. It was after she had come home from boarding school, so right. 19 to 21. Oh my god. You gotta tell them why you're doing that. I, I am 19 and you are 21. Exactly. Yay! Exactly. So she was young. She was about our age. Okay. It's a bad time to have your in love. <laughs> I was gonna say, have something really bad happen to your town. It's okay. She... Is it? Well, she doesn't have any feelings towards it one way oh, or another. Oh, okay. All right. Well, not anymore. I guess it. Oh, why? Because is it because she's dead? Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Witchart Reuters was a tall, broad man quoted as having the charm and wit of someone much less handsome. <laughs> <laughs> Marguerite was not too pleased with her home when she wrote this. That is that is a scathing description the charm and wit of someone much less handsome yes she was very bitter that he was attractive because i understand when i was in third grade when Where i was in, going when i was in third oh, is grade, this your is my, this your man your no, cruise ship man this is not the man okay. i met on the cruise okay. ship in fifth grade. well he was a boy he was he was he was everything to me i know I anyway know. no in third grade there was this person whose name I shall not use who tattled on me and my friends all the time and we hated him and we decided we shall hate him until the end of time, my best friends and I. And I to lovers? No, because the thing is, as he got older, when we were in like high school, middle school maybe, I don't know, I was like, he is really hot. <laughs> and it was a problem. And we decided on a look but don't touch policy because we still had a grudge. I still go by that policy. I would never date him because of what he did to me in the third oh grade. Oh, my God. I guess that's fair. You know, 
the root. He was a snitch. The root Snitches of his stitches. person is a snitch. Exactly. <laughs> I have. I knew him as that before I knew him as hot. And shouldn't I, you know, think of him as who he truly is? A I, snitch. I think so. Which our readers was also a snitch. Oh. Yep. Okay. All right. So you'll really hate this man. Oh, I relate to this situation. I don't know what the situation is, but I feel it in my bones. Okay. In your clavicles? In my clavicles. Excellent. She referenced him to be quite popular amongst the town folk for this exact reason. On paper, he seemed perfect. He was smart, handsome, and publicly loved. However, words on paper are two-dimensional and people are not. That is beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I'm a writer. I'm a writer. I do some podcasting. I like it. He loved the chase, loved what he couldn't have. This came to a head when he met Hendrika, whose last name was never recited to Marguerite. He took a great liking to her and her fleeting nature, and his ego told him that she was the biggest of prizes, the secretive and fleeting woman. No! I hate egos in men. They're so large, and they take up so much space. They're so imposing. They truly are. It's most of their brain. It is. And he didn't really have a brain. He did have a penis, though. (laughs) Did he, did he wield it? Did he wield it? Did he wield it in this story? Um, yes. We can assume so. That's we don't so know any sad. details. Hendrika could have been it. asexual. Okay. He could have been asexual. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe that's why he likes to chase people. Is because he doesn't actually want sex. That sounds counterintuitive. It is, and he was not asexual. Okay. So, it doesn't matter. Why did we matter. say that then? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Hendrika wasn't the most beautiful, nor the most magical. She was just average, and Wichart seemed to be the man of the hour. Oh, no. She fell for this affection, that the most beloved man in town wanted her, that he was willing to chase her despite often disappearing. Never trust a man that disappears. Well, he didn't disappear. She was the one that was fleeting. She was in and out of town. She was only very rarely I around. excuse her. Okay, awesome. He boasts that he had pursued her for less than a year before being let in, but Margaret Before being let in! To her house. Oh. Yeah, she was very secretive about her house. Oh. Well, my joke was funnier. Okay. Well, my joke was real. Okay. No, it wasn't. It's <laughs> untrue. Cry. Look, now I'm breaking the fourth wall. It's me that's doing it. So yeah, we can make script jokes. Okay. Go on. But Marguerite's parents say that it had been uncountable for how long he had truly been chasing her, perhaps beginning when she had come home from school. Marguerite believes them both to be exaggerations. He says that the home was all a lie. The furniture was nearly untouched, there was dust building where the windows couldn't see, and it wasn't lived in. However, the back door looked regularly used, as did the front. The doorknob was dull, there were handprints near the edge, and the mat had dried dirt on it. He had seen her garden from the back, and it was nothing to marvel at, so why did this look used? He had gone to see, but she had quickly become protective over it and urged him back out. Hey, I have a theory. Okay. I think this house is a magical portal. Oh my god. She got it. I got it! You got it. I got it without even reading the script in advance. It should be mentioned that I did consult you on where a magical portal should be. Fuck. Maybe this is just a suppressed memory, then. It it, probably is. Emerging from the depths. He proposed to her months after, and through the excitement, she wished to introduce him to her family. He had presumed them to be dead, as did everyone else, but said nothing, and only showed up for Sunday night dinner to her home. It was empty. Hendrika led him to the back door, and when she opened it, a new world was there. 
You were correct. <gasps> Yay! As the door to the garden was the front door, there were three steps leading to the path, each rock giving a faint glow as he stepped on them. There were floating buildings, shoots of magic through the air, potions, people, creatures that he had never seen before. He was in the town of Zwanendam, the magical equivalent to his own. And there's the title. Dun dun dun! <laughs> it has happened, okay? You cue the theme song. <laughs> as soon as the dinner had completed, he rushed home to his family, spewing the tales of the magic town. Bad idea. People will think you're crazy. And they did. Good! That's the best thing. They truly thought that he'd either gone mad or been drunk and set him back to bed. Needing more believers, he asked Hendrika if their families could meet. She was hesitant, of course, but his charm was stronger than any protective one she could have set in advance. Oh, that's beautiful, too. Thank you. I'm a writer. She compromised. His sister could come, a sister she had grown close with, but that was it. Her family would come through should they want their whole families to meet. His sister had the exact same reaction as he did. The two returned, digging their heels in. Their parents continuously rejected them until they went to the priest. I'm concerned about this. I would also be concerned about this, considering that it's on our podcast. (laughs) This was not the priest's first encounter with magic, and he believed them full-heartedly. He spoke to their parents, who, under the guise of their religious leader, were able to be convinced. They were reminded that witchcraft was a sin and were advised never to go near Hendrika again. However, this was not enough for the rooters. They had raised a child next to a magical place, and they were far too worried to let it go. Witchart remained in a relationship with her, and simultaneously began to rally those that believed their children should not be raised in such close proximity around them. They planned to storm the town, and when Hendrika did not answer her door one night, they broke it down and into the town of Zwanendam. That is deeply unfortunate. Why is there not a magical charm on the door? Hendrika was the charm. She was supposed to always be, she was the door guard. So she was, she is a person, but her family has historically guarded the door. There's always okay. supposed to be someone in the house, but Hendrika was in Zwan and Dom. So she had Why stepped... was she in Zwan and Dom? Because she also lives there and her family lives there. Why didn't they put somebody else in charge? I don't know. Maybe they were having family dinner. Seems like an oversight. It does seem like an oversight. But they had never had anyone break in in all of their years of being there. And it's the Netherlands. Only, Everything's very old. It only takes one time. It only takes one time. But you get you get lax. Zwan and Dom is going to suffer for this. I can tell because I know what kind of things we write about. Yep. The amount of casualties cannot be counted. Their houses were still of wood, as many old Dutch houses were, and their close proximity caused fire. If those inside were not killed by fire, they were killed with firearms. Because there were so few exits to Zwamendam, very few escaped. It was a tragedy for the magical world of the Netherlands. There was one person that upon sight the non-magical did not kill. There was a baby wrapped in her father's jacket, the name Vandenberg sewed onto it. She cried hysterically as her home went up in flames. A man shielding a bleeding young girl both lay dead, just a meter from her, tears still stained onto their faces. The baby showed no signs of magic upon picking her up, and one citizen, in a moment of mercy, kept the child in the jacket and returned home with her. I don't know that I can applaud that act, um, because this supposed citizen did also participate in the murder of a bunch of other people. And we don't know if those people around her were her parents and her potential sibling, but the chances of it being her dead father and dead sister Mm -hmm. killed 
most likely by that person. And then that person uh, being like, ooh, you know what I should do? A pet. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I don't love this story. It's very self-righteous. It is. Where it's, they think that they're doing the right you thing. You know, in The Hunchback of Notre Dame, when um, Claude Frollo murders Quasimodo's mother, and then he's about to throw him down the well, the, then the priest is like, no, you can't do that. And he's like, oh, well, I'm a good person because I'm going to save this child, even though I call it racist names. Yes, that is exactly what this is. Excellent. In fact, I love, love, love that musical. You I can s- continue making this comparison the Excellent. the story gets. Because that is my favorite musical, and it should have been on Broadway, and I will die on that hill. I know. Thank you. As was the case with many self-righteous murders, going on haunted by their acts isn't unusual. Many of them resumed their normal lives, believing they had done a good thing. Some still held a bad conscience, but with it being out of sight and out of mind, it was rare that people had come to terms with it. Over time, the story would become a heroics folk tale. Some believe it, some do not. However, there was always that kid. That one kid that was a living reminder of the horrors or heroics that they had committed. They had even gone so far as to name her Zwan after the town that she had come from. In a way, she had become a very silent martyr. How could they have done something so bad when they had rescued this perfectly normal child from those demons, turned her to a life of religion? The child had become the town's child of sorts, having a bed no matter where she went, but never having a permanent one until Marguerite Visser, who is the author of these documented events, was able to share hers with the young girl. Was Marguerite Visser part of the let's murder the other town kind of thing, or was she too young? Marguerite was too young. Okay. So when she was introduced here, she was roughly 17. So she, she did not participate in the she genocide. She did not, and she is very, she was very vague about knowing about it until taking care of Swan. Okay, okay. Swan was described as a carefree, sociable child. She loved where she was and who she was around. She ran to and from with a smile on her face, and although many were apprehensive of her, she had never known that she was in danger. She loved the people around her, and as far as she knew, the people loved her back. She wasn't afraid to get into mischief, nor argue with someone. She was just a kid. Marguerite said that she was about 15 when she began to take care of Swan more regularly, and by 17, she was practically her own child. One can imagine how stressful it was to know that the people around you, every one of your friends and family, could turn and kill the child that you love so dearly within an instant, should she present any trait that her ancestors all had. That is dark. It is incredibly dark, and she was 17 when she really adopted her. That is a lot of responsibility for a 17-year-old. I could say more on that, <laughs> but I will not. But I will, I will, I will not. Stop there. I will not make this entire podcast about my opinions. That's season three. <laughs> we, we can't, we can't. There was one day, though, that her otherwise irrational fears became rational. No! I know. Okay. I know. As one day, she caught Zwan directing a doll through the air with just her hands. Marguerite references this moment as a dark one for her, as she snatched it out of the air, slammed the door, and yelled at the child never to perform it again. She said that she couldn't sleep for many nights, watching Zwan in her sleep to see if she would do it again. Her morals were being confronted. This child wasn't evil, and her first actual display of quote-unquote demonic entity was the joy of playing. It was just a child playing, and a child that she loved so much. 
She read her religious texts over and over, looking for something to defend her, something to validate how wrong these journals were about her little girl. Question. In this hypothetical religion, is it okay to murder people? No. Ah! It is not. I see something that I have pinpointed. Yes, you have. <laughs> it is It is not allowed to murder people. I am so good at this. But they do not consider them people. No! They consider that them demons. That is dehumanization. It is dehumanization. No! So they've taken out these people because they don't see them as people. That's part of why they're so passionate about this child that they saved from them because they see the child as a person right now. For now? For now. For now. Oh my goodness. She says that she confided in her parents, who were all too vague in their answers. She says that it was something along the lines of reassuring her that it would never happen rather than claiming the stance alongside the child that they had known since she was but an infant. She says that she spoke to Witchart, who laughed the idea off, swooping his arm around his newest of brides and claimed it was ridiculous ew. to think of. Yeah, you Nasty. Yeah. Witchart was not a great man. Why is she speaking to all these people about it if... Because she's 17. She doesn't know what to do. Oh. She's scared. She's looking for guidance from the people that in her town that she grew up with. This she is... loves them so much. These are her family. It's her town people. These are people she grew up around. They've held her as a baby. Right. Why she... would she not trust them? And she doesn't know very much about the destruction of the other town. This no. is so unfortunate. So she's trying to get answers and why are they evil? Why? That's why she's reading her religious texts and then asking her parents. And Witchart was the only really big public figure. Mm -hmm. And Still, it's a small town. Funny that town. his name is Witchart. That's, yeah. It's a little bit ironic, isn't it? Yes. Okay. Did she speak to anybody else? Yep, she spoke to the priest. No! She spoke to the priest last, who claimed that if Swan was to present magical symptoms, she was not a child, she was not a girl, but a demonic entity under the guise of one, which was even crueler than any of the demons they had faced prior. He advised her to alert him if anything happened, as he was more connected to their gods than she and he could find a solution with as little pain for Marguerite as possible. Marguerite did her best to cover her trail, but she knew it was time to leave. In her translated words, if my religion asked me to choose the blood of a child to prove my faith, then I am unfaithful. That is beautiful. She was pissed, and she had every right to be. She's a good mom. She is I a good mom. support Marguerite. Support Marguerite, readers. I, I stand with Marguerite. Marguerite was unsure of where to buy a gun. She did jump. Oh! She did jump. That is, that is not what I expected you to say to me next. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, what else is she going to do? I, I don't know. I've never had a quote-unquote demon child. Exactly. So what is she supposed to do? I, I don't know. Record scratch. It's editing Bell. Hello, hello. This is the same Bell that does the podcast. But I don't have Alexandria, so that's pretty upsetting. I knew this going into this, but I feel like it's important to mention, and I never did, so I want to fix that now. So I conferred with my sources, my, my wife, to double check, and she has informed me that in 1919, the Netherlands said, hey, if you want to buy or own a gun, you have to have a permit. So not only did Marguerite not know where to buy a gun, but she couldn't even if she wanted to, which makes her next decision, which I will let you get back to in just one moment, very admirable. Now I will let you get back to it. Tolt scenes. Marguerite was unsure of where to buy a gun, but knew one man that would have them. Witch Heart Rooter. No! My enemy! <laughs> Out of everyone in town, he would be the man to carry a gun in which he could have murdered Swan's family. 
She met back up with him, claiming to be very interested in said murders, asking to see if he still had the gun. Ever when to boast, he pulled it out, recounting the tales. She made note of where it was, and when he was not there, she walked right into his unlocked door and took it for herself. She kept it tucked under her skirt, ensuring that if anyone were to come after Zwan, she would be ready. I love it. I love She got the it. gun to make sure that if anyone attacked Zwan, that she could kill them. Okay. All right. Fair That's enough. A, she really was a mother by 17. Yeah. She says that if there is a religion, it was watching over her as she needed it the very next day. Her and Zwan were stopped at the door. The priest, after their conversation, wanted to observe Swan privately, and if you've ever been a mother, one knows they don't exactly let their little girls go off with old men with a history of socially acceptable violence. Amen. She was... Marguerite Visser was ahead of her time. She was a very good mom. She was a very good mom. She pulled her child close and claimed that unless she could be there, she wouldn't go, but the adults around her claimed that it was not up for debate. If there was nothing to hide, she would be fine with their priest, and she was too young to care for the child anyway. She was a child herself, and she had no say in the matter. When Swan was nearly forcibly taken from her, she began to scream, and a loose tile lifted with the high-pitched cry, dropping as they let her go. Who screamed? Swan. Mm. So it was her magic. Okay. Believing this to be an act of violence, the townsfolk began to try to grab at her again, which is when Marguerite pulled out her gun. She says that this was the second most difficult moment of her life as she yanked Swan behind her, pointed the gun to her own parents, and backed out as slowly as she could. Second most? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's a little bit tragic that Marguerite also had to go through this. Yeah. If one child wasn't enough. Two of them. Two. What's worse than one child? Two children. Exactly. That's not the vine. No. It was our parody. Yeah, we're... We're not claiming anyone's intellectual property. Exactly. Everyone's intellectual property is their own and not ours, except for our intellectual property, which is in fact ours. They ran as soon as they could, but Marguerite knew that all of town would be on high alert. So instead of running away, they broke down the door to Zwan and Dom, and Zwan was finally informed of her past. Marguerite claims this is the most difficult moment of her life. Mm, fair. I cannot imagine having to tell this child, hey... My friends killed your parents. It and was everyone. A, and everyone cheered. Sorry. That would suck. She watched as this child had her world collapsed from around her while standing in the ruins of the people that would have loved her completely, not under the conditions that they had set for her. She finally knew why people treated her differently, why not every kid was allowed to speak to her, and that everyone that loved her hated her. She quotes that Zwan spent a day digging through rubble, trying to find remnants of what her town was and who her family was. At the end of the day, she had to drag Zwan out of Zwan and Dom, snuck into her own house to get the jacket that was wrapped around her, and the two began walking. Marguerite- Where are they going? Beats me. Okay. Marguerite says that she can no longer recount how long they had been walking, but when Zwan had to be carried, they found a train. She doesn't know how far they went, but she knew that it was close to the border of Belgium when she did stop. In the first stroke of good luck in this story, a hospital was along the border of a second magical town. Yes! And as Zwan improved, they were quick to recognize her magical qualities. They sat with Marguerite and explained that she was of magic, that she needed to be in a magical world to develop it in a safe, controlled way. Marguerite references that she hadn't come all this way to lose Zwan in another, different way, no matter how selfish it was, and refused to leave her side. She was later greeted by the magical government of the Netherlands, who explained to her the dangers associated with improper magical development. 
She, again, insisted that she needed to be with her. She explained Swan and Dom to them, and in exchange for every piece of information she knew, she would be allowed to live in the magical world should she stay with a host family. Marguerite took this offer because she's not an idiot, Mm -hmm. and is the biggest reason as to why the town of Swan and Dom is not lost entirely, and as almost all of their non-governmental history had been burned in the fire. Even more so, her published records made the Netherlands aware of it, so it wasn't entirely lost to history. She was the reason that the very few escapees of Zwanendam later came forward to help add to the missing town, and why efforts were being planned before World War II began to rebuild it. Despite being non-magical, she single-handedly saved a portion of history of the magical world of the Netherlands. I love people who save history. She fought tooth and nail to make sure that Zwan and Dom did not fall. I love... Not truly. Not truly. I I love history. I'm a big fan of this gal. She really... She... I'm on her side. I'm also on her side. I think it would be weird to not be on her side. It would be. But I am even more so on her side because she saved a piece of history. She did. They would have known that Zwan and Dom had been burned because the government... They wouldn't would have, have checked up on them. Yeah, they wouldn't have known why, though. They wouldn't have known the story. They yeah. wouldn't have known about They knew Zwan. that there was few survivors, and that gave the survivors a chance to step forward because there were very few exits, but that didn't mean there were no exits. Right. They could get out. They just had very few ways to do so. Okay. So, some survivors of Zwan and Dom are still out there, and they had planned to rebuild it, but then World War II started, and that kind of put a hinder on things. It's, it often does. Yeah. Yeah. But her goal as a 17-year-old was never to save all of history of Swan and Dom. Her goal was to save Swan. And was Swan saved is the biggest question here. As finding her original was an impossible task, she had another birth certificate made and was re-registered as a citizen of the Netherlands. The host family that she and Marguerite had been living with was a nearby nurse to the fabled hospital that had saved them, and she became incredibly interested in the profession whilst in the town. This furthered when Marguerite later found a job at the hospital. Due to the traumatic nature of these incidents, her personality suffered a severe change. She became quiet and distant, though still held on to her sense of humor. She did not want to play with other kids and stayed as close as possible to Marguerite, who she often referenced as the only person she could trust. It was a horrible change for her to go through, but she did eventually get admitted into a prestigious boarding school in the UK. Marguerite stopped writing at that point, and we are only left to wonder what happened to Zwan. Her school records show that she's still alive, but as this year is her last year of school, her return to the Netherlands is inevitable, and they are in the middle of World War II. The Netherlands has been occupied at this point. Mm -hmm. What year is it right now in our story? By the time she graduates, it will be 1944. That is unfortunate. It is highly unfortunate for her. If she returns to Marguerite, we don't know, and as of right now, Zwan and Dom is still in ruins, with just five survivors recognized in Marguerite's Visser's text, excluding Zwan herself. That was a sad story. It was a sad story. That, I mean, like, all of our stories are sad, but that one was extra it's sad. It's dismal. You made me sad. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. It's not... <laughs> it's it's a mark of a good story. Thank you. Um, but now I'm sad. Okay. Well... I'm sorry that you're sad. Okay. That's my bad. I appreciate your apologies. Um, That's all today, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. Send in your thoughts, theories, questions, and comments to untruecrimethepodcast at gmail.com, all lowercase, for a chance to be featured at the end of the season during our Q&A. Bye!